and welcome back. This is episode 13 of the 1099. I'm your host, Josiah Renaud, and this is for the week of October 5th. Back after a brief hiatus, uh, I was in Anaheim on business and decided there was no way I could actually line up a guest and record in the time I had. Uh, but we're back. We're better than ever. And we're doing a night podcast, which you guys don't care about, but I care about because it's totally different. And usually I'm describing the weather. And right now it's dark out, so I can't see anything. So it could be thunderstorming. It could be snowing in Florida. I have no idea. Uh, so today I am joined by a freelancer for The Guardian, Paste, Vice Sports, The Point, and a handful of other uh, sites, magazines that hopefully he'll be able to let us know about a little bit later. Uh, he covers video games, labor, and pop culture. It is uh, Ian Williams. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. No problem. I've I've wanted to have you on for a while. We uh, had talked a little while back. You know, I was kind of sending out a call for different people to have on the show, and you told me your story. And immediately, I'm like, I'm marking you down in the future. Like, I put a Google Calendar notice of ask Ian Williams to be on podcast at some point. And this is really good timing. Uh, so, the interesting story, and I'll let you mostly tell it, but I I can intro it a little bit. You had mentioned that uh, initially you never really cared about games writing, which already is so different from most of the people who get into games writing. Uh, I mean, I can point to myself with that, with that because this was always this, this dream of mine. You, you read GameSpot, you read IGN, you're like, I want to be on there. I want to play video games and write about them and get paid for it and it'll be so cool. Um, but it was never really your interest, but something happened to your life. You, you had an issue and now you are, you're a freelancer. You're, uh, I've read a lot of your stuff and it's, it's really great work and, uh, you take a very interesting side to video game coverage. So if you could just kind of tell us your story and how you got into this. Okay. Well, basically back in, uh, back in O2, um, I was working at a bookstore and I, I played video games and, and, and role-playing games, role-playing games, pen and paper, are actually my first love. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I played both since I was a boy and I'm 38 now. So the time between me being a boy and the time when I think that like most of my peers in game criticism were, were, were boys yeah. and girls is quite a bit different. Um, cause they're all like, you guys are all like 29, 28, so stuff um, like that. I'm 23. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm like, yeah, I'm one of the younger ones, but you know, <laughs> there you go. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't really much care uh, about video games writing, but what happened was in O2 or so, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, um, which if you're not familiar with it, um, it's, it's, it's more widespread. I wasn't familiar with it when I was diagnosed with it, but essentially um, what happens is, is, is related to rheumatoid arthritis and your body's um, immune system attacks the, your, your intestinal lining. Um, so I couldn't eat. I was in the bathroom, like literally not an exaggeration, 15 to 20 times a day. Um, and I, I became so ill and, uh, I didn't have insurance at the time. So I just got sicker and sicker and sicker. Oh. Um, at my worst, I'm, I'm, I'm about 5'11". I weighed 110 pounds. Um, so I was extremely ill and, wow. uh, basically bedridden. And, um, I, I was on disability. Um, and, uh, uh, after I moved to Raleigh, this was, I got sick when I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, and the healthcare is better in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. um, so I was able to see somebody who, who comped me with, uh, helped me get compensation for a fairly expensive but very good medication. Um, but basically, I had this huge chunk of my, of my life at that point, uh, a good six years or so, 
uh, that was just obliterated by illness. Like I couldn't do anything. Right. Um, I'd never, I never finished my degree, um, uh, because I dropped out, but the time when I might go back, uh, was basically eaten up by my illness. And while I was sick, I fell into like MMOs and I started reading some old sites like Lum the Mad, um, some of these kind of early, um, I don't want to say that it's like high-minded criticism of the sense that like, you know, we go for now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it, it was distinctly middle brow, but it was also unfiltered. It was very different than, you know, the game spot of, of the day and the IGN and, and all of that stuff. But when I became better, I had to go get a job and um, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Right. Like the only thing I knew to do was um, Funcom is local and they were working on, on uh, age of Conan at the time. And, um, they were looking for some QA guys. All right. So, uh, I applied for that and, uh, I got the job and, uh, I worked there for about two years. Uh, I was caught up in the, in the big wave of layoffs in 08, I think. Um, and, uh, we could probably talk a little bit about this later, but, um, you know, I grew up as I grew up and still am a socialist. So when I, saw some of the business practices and stuff like that firsthand to say it made me angry would be the wrong thing um, because I wouldn't go that far, but to say that I was deeply disappointed is probably uh, more accurate. So um, as I came out and, and and I became a stay at home dad because you know, I have, I I have a daughter um, and and my wife was pregnant um, shortly after I got laid off. Um, basically I went back to school, but I had to do something for money and I've been tossing around writing about, uh, you know, my experiences in the video game industry in basically a doomed project. And, uh, I wrote it and it went really, really well. It was actually my second piece, uh, uh for Jacobin. Um, okay. you can sleep here all night. Um, my first one was, was, was about geek culture. And I was, I pitched that as kind of a way of, eventually getting to this this article about the video game industry because i felt i needed to establish a certain theoretical groundwork for the way that geek culture kind of sets up these uh um these kind of corporate run cultures which then people buy into as fans and then they can become exploited workers so i did that um and when when that piece came out um you can sleep here all night that went just it did way better, I think, than either I or Bhaskar Sankara, who's the editor of Jacobin, expected. Um, and then, you know, after that, I started working for Paste. I did, um, I, I stumbled through some contacts on kind of a really inept, shady story uh, going on with the World of Darkness MMO at um, uh, CCP. I, and I, I, I kind of sourced that and I pitched that to the guardian and then the combo of doing paste and the guardian um just kind of led to more and more work before you actually started to get published on different sites like that what was your opinion of games writing from the outside uh like what when you started actually if you ever did read any GameSpot or ign like what was your thought on the quality of writing or maybe what they were writing about well i thought it was um i, th- I thought it was fairly variable i mean i think that um i'd I tell people this whenever they get really mad at something in, in Gawker or something or Vice or something like that. I, I write for Vice Sports, full mm. disclosure, on a regular basis. Um, but um, whenever whenever somebody gets really mad at somebody for writing on Gawker or, or Vice or something like that, and they say, how can you write for that site? I say, look, 
publications are no longer monoliths, right? And mm-hmm. they haven't been, I don't think, since since we all moved on the internet and everybody started losing the newsroom jobs and going towards, um, you know, a more freelance-based economy. Correct. Um, it's just this. Um, so, so really, it was just very. It, it was variable. You know, I didn't really latch on to writers. It was just kind of like that old saw about art. I don't know what it is, but I know <laughs> I, 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 what I like. You know, exactly. Um, I do remember. Um, that I became more interested in following uh, games news after the EA spouse uh, stuff back in 03, I guess it was. Yeah. Because that spoke a little bit more to what I was interested in. I've always been more interested in how people make games, um, not just in that in, in that sense. I think that most people are where they think, gee, that seems cool, or you know, the act of creation is really good. Um, you know, all that stuff is true, but I'm mainly interested in seeing games workers um, get a fair shake. Mm-hmm. So um, once EA Spouse happened, then we started to see, uh, alongside the criticism, the reviews, the list, we started to see more um, more reporting, more labor reporting, right? Which is yeah. which is mostly what what I've always been interested in. And uh, you, you're interested in labor, and you said you mentioned that you know you're interested in how games are made. You, as you said, you were QA uh, for the Age of Conan development, which was a crazy development. Like, anytime anyone ever talks about that game, I don't think about the final product. I think about just all the stories you hear about the way it was made and the delays and just the craziness surrounding it. Um, You had mentioned that you weren't angry at it. You were more disappointed or uh, just is is a weird time. Can you kind of talk more about it? I mean, you wrote that feature, but kind of elaborate on what it was like being a part of such a troubled project? Funcom has uh, has several offices, and the bulk of development at that time was done, they are a Norwegian company, and it was done in Oslo. Um, and uh, the, the office here, which is in Durham, um, was uh, customer service, QA, and didn't really do, and I think like server uh, server monitoring. Um, so there wasn't a lot of production. So we were mostly insulated from kind of the uh, the issues in the actual like writing and coding and stuff like that. Like we weren't privy to that because there was just so much of a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, we had the advantage of if something blew up in Oslo, then we weren't kind of like exposed to any office drama. I can't speak to what happened in Oslo. On the other hand, we would get things that just – didn't make any sense, right? Because of the distance. And you, you know, we're, we're QA, we're supposed to test things. We're supposed to look into them and stuff like that. We didn't even have design documentation, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like we referred to it as the D word. So, so essentially what would happen is we would have to reverse engineer new systems that came in and then we would submit bugs or, um, or, or design recommendations, like this isn't fun, you know, change this, based on, we basically had to figure out what the designers were doing without ever being able to really talk to them. We could talk to them, right? We, you know, there, there were times when I would say, hey, what did you mean by this? But it's not the same thing as documentation. So you were like <laughs> reverse engineering this to figure out the issue? Like you were almost trying to like oh, put your mind on their mind, be like, okay, what do you, let's see if we're on the same right. page and they're not like, talking to you. The big, the the biggest, uh, the the biggest example of that was they had the siege system where you were going to be able to um, make a make a castle, right, like a, like a walled village, and this was going to be like open PvP, and you could schedule sieges with other guilds, right? Like your guild would run its city, and another guild would run theirs, and then you'd have siege engines and stuff like that. 
this came to us probably, oh God, I don't even think like two months before release. Right? <laughs> We'd never seen it before. Oh my there God. There was no documentation. It didn't work. So what we had to do was we we had to figure out how it was supposed to work without actually talking to anyone. Right. <laughs> or that's probably, that's probably an exaggeration with, without having any documentation. Yeah. You know, like I said, we, we could talk to people, but you know, it's all on Skype and it's all text-based and stuff. So it's just, it's just, it's very limited. And, and then there's like a language barrier where most of the designers didn't speak English as their first language. And, you know, none of us spoke Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so none like, of you did just, you know, offhand, like, oh, I kind of know Norwegian. Like, well, you know, we would have guys who like knew how to order a pizza. Okay. You know, like the, because, the essentials. You know, yeah. You know, or like, like hail a cab from like, you know, when they, would, when they would go to Oslo. You could survive for years with those two skills. Right. Yeah. Cab and pizza, maybe, <laughs> maybe bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Maybe. So yeah, it it was just it was just this comedy of errors where the communication between the two offices was just terrible, um, and um, you know with with that siege thing, essentially the siege system was uh, designed a second time by QA, right? <laughs> because yeah. because we wrote the documentation, we wrote, we reverse engineered how things should have worked, or or how we thought they should have worked like what the intent was and then made suggestions on what we thought the intent was, not what the actual intent was because we didn't have access. To it. For the purpose of people who might not know exactly what QA does, could you describe like a little bit of like your job function? Were you, would you consider yourself a developer in a way or not as certain you're more just finding bugs, doing quality assurance? Um, I think in our case, um, you know, I, you know, I make it sound like a nightmare, but you know, we were actually given a lot of leeway to, to, to make actual suggestions and stuff yeah. like that. It wasn't just uh, stuff that we had to kind of figure out on our own. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say, and, and I think this varies from studio to studio, but yeah, I would say that we kind of felt like devs, you know, uh, um, yeah. we did, we did, most of our stuff was, was, was breaking things, right. You know, can we break the game in this way? Um, as well as just what you would think of testing, like there was a lot of what we call wall crawling, which, you know, when, when you have a video game or, or at least Funcom, you know, what will happen is you'll have a mesh, which is your collision. That's all the solid stuff in your game that you run into. And then on top of that, you put your art, right? So you have to make sure that lines up. And also sometimes with the mesh, you'll get um, uh, kind of like holes, like you can walk into it or you can get stuck or anything like that. So that's that kind of like... Uh, rote testing that you do mm. go through this make sure that there aren't any holes make sure that you know the numbers align where they're supposed to if you if you spend two gold on a club make sure it takes two gold out stuff like that um and then we had like i said a lot of leeway to give suggestions like we could say this isn't fun right yeah. this is this is this is shitty gameplay this is this is a boring quest stuff like that and a lot of times they would take that on board so um yeah i mean i mean funcom was um Funcom was odd in the sense that um, it was it was dysfunctional at a communication and I think design level, mm-hmm. but um, to their credit, uh, they paid us pretty well for for North Carolina QA, um, and uh, we didn't work a whole bunch of crunch. You know, we did crunch, but it really was nothing compared to a lot of places. And they really did. Uh, you know, I know. I, I know a lot of people who work QA and they're, they're treated like dogs and, but we were, I felt valued and yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's not the case at a lot of places. Well, when you're re when you're almost rewriting game systems, I would hope they would <laughs> to some degree yeah. 
value you. Uh, I do have two follow-up questions on this. So first, do you feel that experience gave you enough uh, actual development chops that if you saw an opening at a studio, um, could you apply and actually have enough uh, previous work to maybe actually have a shot at the job? And additionally, did that experience sour you in a way where you don't even want to get into game development? Um, on the first one, um, probably. Like, okay. you know, um, a lot of people that I, uh, we actually had a really talented group of people in QA. And an awful lot of those people went on to work at uh, at studio. Well, you know, Funcom in general just, just, just had a lot of talent, just didn't gel, right? But in QA, we, we had a lot of people. Um, my best friend is Stephen Lumpkin. Um, who who um, does he's he's now a Twitch streamer, but he's also um, a lead designer on the new Roller Coaster Tycoon game. And in fact, the studio that's doing that, a lot of those people, uh, I think at least like three more came from QA. Um, uh, my boss at QA uh, now runs uh, the Durham Funcom studio, so he's still there after all these years. Mm. Uh, and yeah, uh, um, I think that it prepares you. I, I don't think that I was in long enough to be able to waltz into, uh, you know, like a high level thing. But yeah, absolutely. I, you know, you know, it does prepare you. It, it kind of gives you, um, if you're good, if you can think critically instead of just doing like the rote things, if you can concentrate on what's fun and good suggestions and stuff like that, then that does prep you to be a designer. Yeah. Um, obviously, you need to have some coding background if you want to get into coding. You have to be able to write if you want to write dialogue and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 like perversely, I it 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 seems like I, I always felt that in QA that you have a really good view of how the video game industry works. That um, I feel like it's sometimes isolating because of kind of like the low level fame that comes with being a writer or a producer, right? Yeah. Like so so as you get up the pyramid, you're supposed to have this kind of top down view, and I don't know if that's always the case, right? I think yeah. that you kind of pull back and get isolated for your second question did it sour me on the video game industry absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so like fully like even if a good opportunity came up where you've heard good things about a studio would you still just question it so much because of this experience yeah well i mean not just my experience but uh you know the experience of 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 everyone that like even the successful people that i that i worked with they're just they're hanging by a thread right yeah. it's there's there's always a threat of layoffs. There's always a threat of a studio closure. There's always the threat of crunch time. Um, uh, outside of like designers and writers whose skills don't really apply to the general tech industry, if you're a coder, you can make half again as much at least uh, if you just go into like general coding and stuff like that. Now, I mean, you're not working on games. You know, the work is not as um, fun and rewarding and stuff like that. But um, yeah, by I guess I got out when I was like 31. Right. And yeah. by that time I was getting ready to have a kid and stuff like that. And after I, after I had the kid, after I was back in school and everything like that, I thought, now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to say never say never. Right. Because oh, no, absolutely. things you change, know. you might get a different opportunity and right. uh, maybe in indie where there's not that same corporate structure, which it still could be similar in certain ways. There still could be crunched, but an indie might have a better kind of labor practice compared to what you've been used to. Right. And, um, I just, uh, yeah, like 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 you become an old <laughs> you become an old person, and you just kind of need that security because there's just there's just more shit going on than yeah I'm making and and and, and I really don't mean that to sound condescending, right? No, like, yeah. like, like that's the last thing that I want to because because doing cool stuff 
matters, right? It's just that there has to be more than just cool stuff and, and, and living, living with that kind of anxiety because by the time, so age of Conan sold really, really well that first month. And then it just cratered, right? We went from like 1 million sold to losing something like a third to half of our, of our subs within two months. And like we knew, right? Everybody knew that, that, uh, we were going to be on the chopping block, right? We didn't, we didn't know who it was. And two things happened. Either, either, either you doubled down and worked even harder. And I was part of the second group. We were just like, fuck it. You know I mean? You know, yeah. At this point work, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Right. Exactly. We were like, look, but you know, we've, we've been, we've been jerked around. We worked our asses off. And there's also this, this, this emotional high at the release. I mean, I remember, you know, the release day party, we were all, uh, you know, we all had way too much to drink. We had like a, you know, a DJ and it was just a black, like everybody had so much fun. Cause it was just like this tension had been released, you know, it's like, Oh God, we're there, you know? And then it released and like, you know, I, I had tears in my, you know, I wasn't sobbing because, you know, no, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, something you, you put so much time into, I mean, on a smaller scale as a writer, when you do this long form feature that involves interviews and research and all this stuff that might take months and months and months and it finally gets published and you see it and you're getting that response and you're like, it's this release. It's this yeah. kind of, and even before you really hear all the response, you get enough and you're like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. It must be the same with you. And like you, you put way more time than a normal feature. It's a multi-year long development process for a game that you might have not even been sure if it was actually to come out with the way that was going. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I just, uh, well, I, you know, it, it was definitely going to come out because um, uh, we were published by Eidos. And um, they were they were clamoring for a release. Funny untold story. Part of the reason why uh, Age of Conan was such a mess in the days after is Eidos had um, uh, they were in charge of printing uh, collectors edition. Uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, just CD keys. Yeah. And in Europe, they uh, they double and triple printed some of them. Oh, fun. So people couldn't. I can't. I, I, I can't remember if it was just collector's edition or if it was um, if it was a normal CD case. Anyway, the 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 response was obviously so big that our customer service department couldn't handle it. So like QA had to go stop quashing bugs, and the priority was given to like handling this 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 disaster, which wasn't even our fault, right? Oh, it like, sounds like a blast. Yeah, it was. So like so like the first week, the game is falling apart because of course people are finding bugs. It's an MMO. Our servers are melting down and everything like that, and uh, we're sitting there. We can't fucking test patches the way that they should be tested or anything like that because we're covering for these 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 double printed CD keys for these people that can't play. And that's insane in an MMO that's always supposed to be evolving and adapting. And you, there are people paying money for a service, and you cannot like get rid right. of these bugs that might destroy their experience because yes. you have to help another department. Yeah, this. Yeah, and like and, and like game breaking bugs were there, and and we couldn't do anything about it, right? Like you know, the designers couldn't couldn't. It, it was just the the production pipeline didn't seize up on the patches, but it just it ground down to a trickle, and yeah. you know that soured so many people. Not that you know the game would have done much better, but you know could like, have helped it at least have maintained that initial boom. That in, like if you're yeah. you know people aren't having a bad experience early on. Yeah, I mean, if, if if you're if you're a new MMO, you have to nail it out of the gate, yeah. and, and it's been the case since you know WoW launched with plenty of problems. But by the time they got stable, that's who you're competing with. Even if you're a completely different game, that's what you're competing with. Yeah, no matter what. Yeah, and yeah, you got to get it right. And 
you know, that that's the kind of thing that, that prevented us from getting it right. You know? Yeah. No, it's, yeah, development seems like an insane thing and you got into one of the craziest of all, but you had mentioned getting out around like 31 and a lot of that had to do with security, uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, in a job like that, you never know. There's, you know, it depends on sales if you're going to be there. There's all the crunch and everything like that. But you're now a freelancer. So as we both know, uh, when you're freelancing, security maybe isn't at the top of the list of benefits for a freelancer. Um, <laughs> right. In yeah. a certain way, you're, you're choosing, you know, which, which publications you want to be on. You know, if you start getting a reputation for being a really good writer, a lot of people will accept your pitches more quickly. But you you mentioned you have a daughter uh you got out of that you got out of the testing job and you're looking for a new uh a new outlet was there ever there had to be some what was the level of concern i guess i would say when you're going to freelance for your income from now on knowing that there are going to be months where things just aren't selling and people don't need content and that could be scary what was what was the feeling going into that well, all right. My situation is uh, very unique. Again, I think it's probably because of my relative age. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I am I am purely a second income, and I was I was a stay at home dad anyway, yeah. right? Um, because uh, you know I got laid off uh, from Funcom right as the economy was crashing, and basically when by the time my wife was six months pregnant, I looked at her and I said, "Listen, there's there's nothing out there, and I think that you know maybe I just stay home and I go back to school whenever she's like." two or three, which is exactly what happened. Right. So like essentially my freelance income is, and at this point I'm actually doing okay. (laughs) By no means rich. And if I was, if I was single, there's no way I could pay uh, uh, for anything. And I don't want there to be any illusions uh, for anyone who's like, yeah, I should go be a freelancer. (laughs) And just curious, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what's your wife's uh, job? uh, She is a librarian, uh, academic librarian. Um, You know, we do, we do okay. So, so the combination of being a second income and also I'm in school, so I get financial aid, right? You know, uh, I, I like, like I said, I never went to college. Right? I have to pinch myself every single time. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to do, uh, you know, the whole imposter syndrome thing, right? Because I, because I tend to think that's a little overstated. But by no means do I have the credentials to do. Like, like I'm just, I, I write well, um, and I've always read a lot. So I kind of have this I, – I don't have the credentials, but I have the knowledge. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. It, and, it, and it's bizarre to me to, for you to say that you, know, you didn't – so are you almost done with college or no? Um, I just graduated with an associate's in uh, database administration, um, and I realized in my last semester that's really not what I wanted to do. I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready, I'm, I'm getting ready with, with, with my two years of degree to uh, – I'm getting ready to go to NC State uh, oh, wow. for my English degree. So. Well, congratulations on the degree you don't Thank plan you. on using. But uh, <laughs> well, when you mentioned you didn't go to college, I mean you sound like someone who's very well-read, who's very – like. I, I once again I read some of your stuff, you. so uh, it's it shows that you know what you're doing, and you know it reads like that too. You also have a, a you should start doing a podcast. I can hear in your voice that you're good at talking. But getting into freelance, I guess, doesn't always need the college degree. But you do go by an odd route where you you don't get through college and you read a lot, and still you're able to write at a level where people like Pace, people like Vice are picking you up. So it's. It is impressive. It, like you said, it's it's a weird road because you are not fully relying on your entire freelance income to supplement yourself, to you know take care of your family. But I know a lot of people, uh, 
Nathan Minier, who's uh, you probably know at this point, who uh, did Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, and a lot of other books. Uh, he's full-time freelance at this point, and that would terrify me. <laughs> like, Oh, no. I, I, I am not um... – I can provide <laughs> I can provide probably advice on maybe how to write, maybe on what to write, but as far as like a path, I mean my life is just my <laughs> life is weird. I mean I mean this is this is not a normal thing, right? Like, but it's super interesting. It, sure, yeah, but like it, you know, I wouldn't tell you I wouldn't tell somebody, "Listen, go get a life-threatening illness <laughs> and play a whole bunch of WoW." Right. Oh, but you see, but think about that headline and be like, the way to success, get Crohn's disease. Like you would <laughs> get, get so disease. many clicks. I'm just letting you know if you might want to pitch that feature. I could take this out of the podcast so no one else steals it. <laughs> I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I can heat something up for Salon yeah. and they might be <laughs> No, uh, but you also mentioned, you know, the idea of it's not always about like sometimes security kind of goes over doing something you like where you mentioned like getting into another QA job that's not video games and it's much safer. Uh than doing games because that's always been the struggle in my head because like i said i i have a full-time job that has nothing to do with um video games it's a tech job where uh we hold conferences for software testers and developers but it's like iphone apps and uh devops tools and stuff like that and yeah it's always been something that i've like battled with because it's like you know i could go full-time but it's it's such a scary thing. It's such a scary thing to put all your eggs in that basket and give up the the healthcare, the everything like that. And I think it is important for people to really consider that kind of stuff because I've talked to people recently who have either just started getting a freelance uh, part time or they're doing even full time now, and just the challenges that come along with that, the taxes, the crazy thing like that. Yeah, it's I I, I know Nick Capizzoli has mentioned that I say like freelancing is crazy or the freelance life is an interesting one way too much. Uh, but it's so true, and yeah, I mean, it's just uh, and 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 being just just one hundred percent like uh, I don't have any intention. I mean, I'm going to never stop writing, so technically, I'll always be a freelancer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people are interested in what I have to say, and I have more things to say. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to stop. But I, you know, I tell you, like, as soon as I'm done with my degree, you'll see me at, like fucking marketing or copy editing <laughs> or something like that locally. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> Yeah, no, and totally, I, yeah. I, I think we we are on a similar page in that way, where like there has to be that other thing on the side that's, you know, very consistent, and it doesn't have to always be about games. Even though, is your eventual goal? So you mentioned, you know, you're always gonna keep writing, and you might do marketing, cop, you know, for a completely different industry. What if a full time job at, uh, let's say, Game Informer or GameSpot came up? Is that somewhat of a dream for you to do full time writing like that, or not so much? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd take. I'd take a staff position. I, I I take a really utilitarian um, view of of of, of writing, mm-hmm. right? It, um, which which might seem odd because I've written uh, games, which are you know role playing games, which are meant to be played, and I write about wrestling, which is not a very you know I mean it's it's pro wrestling. Um, it's shocking the number of people who write about games who like pro wrestling. Like it's this weird thing where my Twitter on certain nights, like a Sunday night, randomly, it's something like everyone's just talking about SummerSlam and it's like they're talking a different language and what's yeah. going on <laughs> and what happened to my Twitter, like who hijacked it and followed 
a thousand wrestling people. It's like, oh no, they're all those people. Which I, yeah. I'm never gonna judge people like wrestling. It's just a thing <laughs> I can't wrap my head around. Like I love sports, and I also like like weird kind of a more obscure like UFC or like golf a lot. And I understand why people wouldn't like that. So one day I just need to have like three people who love wrestling on and be like, okay, let's let's talk yeah, for a second. Can you it. explain yeah. this so that? I don't end up making like a poking fun at wrestling joke on a Sunday night and get completely flamed by like 30 people. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Have me on. I'll do it. I'll, I'll, <laughs> yes. I'll give you the rundown. New wrestling podcast. All right. It, no, I – God, what even more were we talking about? I lost <laughs> Sorry, my train of thought. That was my wrestling tangent. <laughs> no, it's okay. You know, I really do take – I really do take kind of a utilitarian um, – view of it and, and it's not that i don't want a staff position like i've i've been looking you know locally um i applied at the local alt weekly um and i you know i think i would have gotten it if i if i'd had my english degree yeah uh, you know um but um i to say that it's a dream is gosh i feel like uh i, f- I feel like i sound so curmudgeonly <laughs> about this but i'm you know, again, like, like, like I love writing, but writing is a job, right? And I don't, I'm not really that picky about what I write, right? As long as I'm writing. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's like laying brick for me, right? I get up and I write, that's what I do. And I, you know, I, I, I pitch an idea. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I would take a staff position. I wouldn't relocate because I'm, you know, like a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's yeah. hard for. I mean, right now, like I am a single person who has the ability. I mean, for the job I have now, I moved from Pittsburgh area to Jacksonville, kind of like drop of a hat after college because I got the job. So like I'm for, not not like fortunate is the right word, but I'm malleable in terms of you know I can yeah. accept a job. If if Gamespot hired me tomorrow, like I would be on a plane in a couple of weeks, or I guess probably driving all the way over, which sounds like a nightmare. Um, but I actually appreciate your more measured approach because and let me know if you agree with me a lot of people who get into games writing uh it's they are wild like very strong fans of this Mm -hmm. industry which makes sense that's what happens if you love sports and you love you're good in front of a camera you'll often go into sports broadcasting or if you have a great voice and you love sports you're gonna go into sports radio um but a lot of that has produced um (sighs) I feel like a lot of times I will read a review and I'm not calling anyone out again, but you'll read a review and it sounds like it is from a very strong fan's perspective where they might miss things that other people kind of with a more measured approach would find because they are, you know, they're a fan of this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why, I mean, any sort of comments you will read nowadays, if it's, if you ever say something negative, you're immediately like, oh, why do you hate this game? Like, why do you hate this game? I'll use NBA 2K16. Um, I just reviewed it for GameSpot. Uh, and you know, I, I really enjoy that series. I would call myself a quote unquote fan of the series, but, uh, I, you know, I would like to think of myself as a, a pretty good reviewer where I can take a step back and notice when like, Hey, this game has poor communication where they add all these things. And there's some of the like worst tutorialization I've ever seen. Like it's, it's really bad. There's not a lot there. Um, and I point that out. And of course I was the idiot who read the comments, which I usually avoid, but I started to see there was some buzz around it. So I'm like, uh Oh, uh, and it's just people saying, like, you know, what's wrong with you? This is a nine. You're an idiot. You've never played this before. You're why wouldn't they get a a fan? Why wouldn't they get a fan to write this review? And as soon as I read that, I'm like, oh, what? When is yeah? It's become... so weird. It's it, because because the um uh the insistence 
mm-hmm. by a certain movement which is concerned about ethics in journalism. <laughs> are you sure they are? Yeah, says, <laughs> they, they insist that there that there's such a thing as an objective review. Okay. Right? Yeah. Why would they then, or or sympathizers to that movement, which is concerned with ethics and journalism, mm-hmm. why would who 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 probably are in the in that comment section, why would you on the one hand insist that they're objective reviews and then insist that only <laughs> fans of video games do the reviews, right? They that want objectively positive reviews for the things they like to confirm their opinions. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's, it's, it's not intellectually tenable, right? Which, <laughs> no. You know, it's, it's completely absurd. Now I will say I, my favorite games writing that I have done, uh, has it's it's never been reviews. I think I'm I think I'm a shitty reviewer, right? <laughs> I, I really am because because um I always feel the need to cover kind of like uh you know the nuts and bolts uh get to the score kind of thing, right? Because 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 I get that, right? Like generally speaking, if there's a game I'm interested in, I go look for the scores before I go look for the two thousand word review, kind of getting to you know, the nub of it, you know, the critique, the deep critique. And I think that's so fine. And I think so many reviewers get frustrated when they hear that. When they say, like, I just took all this time and all I did was look at the review. I review games on, like, a weekly basis. I still do that. And yeah, I just, because, I first, I need to know. Like, yeah, because, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got a limited amount of money, right? Yes. I've got $50 on my game budget. What am I going to spend that on? Yeah. Right? I got, you know, it's not like, because, because gamers, you know, come from all walk come from all walks of life but i think that it's you know it's not people are on a budget in the best of times you know and then you get that kind of you know um you know the the old gamer demographic the stereotypical demographic which i think is 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 stereotypical for the reason that i think that there's still a lot of those people buying games which is young maybe you know uh, you know at, at at a stage in their lives when they are underemployed mm-hmm. you know they might be working part-time they might be working a shitty retail job whatever they have a limited amount of money they need to know the score right yeah. and we can you know to know what to spend their money on um so so like reviews I've, i you know i always feel this pressure to do that while also at this point there seems you know i always feel this kind of peer pressure to which which may or may not exist to make it make it good make it weighty and stuff like that so, oh, so it's, my favorite thing it yeah. exists and i agree so much with that uh it's a battle in my head whenever i'm writing a review where it's like okay i need to cover the basics of this game i need to there are gonna be people because reviews i think there's room for so many different types of reviews and i think there's room for a lot of people use reviews differently some people look at the bullet points at the end and the score and move on with life some people have already owned the game and they just want to have another opinion to think about it differently like there's there's all sides for writing reviews and reading reviews and i've come to this point where I sometimes I have to like fight myself to figure out what I want to do with the review because you'll start writing it and you're like, I have just gone into this very deep look at this thematic element and that's led to this, this, and this. But then I read it again and I have no idea if I have never played this game and I have no idea what the game looks like, uh, if the if the soundtrack is any good and what it plays like. And did I cover this weighty part, like you said, too much? or not enough and it might talk too much about the mechanics so it just sounds like a product review for the new iphone where it's all about the systems and not the actual meaning of it it's it's a struggle yeah well we're all frustrated academics probably yeah <laughs> that's part <laughs> or, of it or, or, or would be would be academics you know um so uh, you know my favorite games writing um 
certainly of the stuff that I have written and most of my favorite writing that I have seen that, that I've seen out there um, are things which are not reviews, but which are about a game. And Pace was great with that because Garrett and Maddie basically let you pitch a lot of whatever's in your head. Yeah. And um, it doesn't have to be tethered to a game that's out right now. You know, that's like a hot topic. Uh, it doesn't have to be tethered to a review. I mean, I, you know, probably the, probably my best piece of criticism. And I, you know, again, I, I consider myself when it comes to reporting, I consider myself a labor reporter, mm-hmm. right? When it, you know, in the video game stuff, the, the, the crit stuff is stuff that I do, but it's not really my main point of interest. But my, but like the best, the best piece of games crit that I wrote was, I think, um, doing a materialist reading of, um, the rise of like the work sims right and how that's kind of like maybe a representation of how we just don't know working class people anymore right and i paste is one of the best homes for that actually and i was uh i think i because i I always you know jot down a couple notes before i ever talk to anyone on the show and i think i've paced magazine down like four or five times um because i've written for them too and like you said what they do is so unique for games writing where you can pitch if they trust you as a writer and they think your idea is cool they don't care if it's about a game that's like three years old and out of style they don't care if it's not a list about the top 10 sex scenes from the witcher 3 like they don't they're not looking i don't always know like business wise i'm not sure how it works for them um because i don't know if i don't think i would run a site like that even though in my dream i would but i it's a it's it's so much fun and it's they're very malleable. They're very great to like work with. And I mean, I've written for them, let's say once at this point, I think, I think I wrote for them a little bit early on and then I'm kind of exclusive game spot at this point, but and I pitched a scapegoat, which is this really cool indie game by Ian Stalker. Uh, and he had a scapegoat two coming out and he was like at the indie game mega booth and at PAX. And this is right around the time where double fine was starting to work with him and they were promoting his stuff. And he was one of my, you know, we did become friendly and I just want to talk about, hey, here's this indie guy's journey from being on Xbox Live Indie Games to getting like a promotional partnership with Double Fine. And I want to tell his story with quotes. And they, you know, I showed them my old writing and almost immediately like, yeah, let's do it. Like write it and we'll publish it and we'll look at it. And I'm, this is not me saying anything bad about IGN or GameSpot. They would not buy that. No, absolutely not. And they just wouldn't. And that's fine. I understand why they wouldn't. You try, but like some people just don't like the fa- paste is this perfect home for that kind of writing. Yeah. And you see, and you see people who like, um, you know, get bigger because paste gives them the freedom to, um, find that voice. Austin right? Walker. Like, Austin. yeah, he's, Maddie's moved on to, mm-hmm. um, uh, to the Mary Sue. Um, Gita Jackson is, uh, I, I think she's starting to get out of games writing, but I know that she was, uh, you know, she's, she's got some things going on yeah. um, that may be cool in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that Pace are genuinely enthusiastic about um, pop culture in general. If you check, like if you check the entirety of their site, you know, they're just, they're interested in a lot of different things. And, and, and that's, that, that comes from the editorial staff and that comes from Josh, um, you, you know, the owner um, but, um, I, I think that sometimes you don't see, I, I don't, I, don't I, I think sometimes you don't see that kind of like AV club style, let's go revisit an old game or let's go write about whatever bullshit 
you know we're interested in mm-hmm. and video games because there's just this tremendous there's just this tremendous pressure of the new right yeah and it just it moves so fast it's like monthly release cycles and it's like oh well we can't write about this game this that game came out three months ago Ugh, it's, that's it, old it's shocking how much you see this build up and once again it makes sense but like Let's say uh, a new Call of Duty game. There's just like weeks and weeks beforehand. There's all these features. There's these, here's the best guns. Here's the ratings for this. Here's that, that, that. It comes out and a week later, it's like it almost never existed. It's, we have yeah. such, there's, there's, it's a short window. There's so much about before a game. And then as soon as a game launches, it's on to the next one. It's on to the next one. And Kotaku, I do like part of the direction they're taking where they have certain writers kind of cover a certain game well after launch like what's going on in mario maker like what crazy stuff are people yeah, making I'd be, in there I'd, I'd be really i want to see what that what their numbers are um it'd be fascinating like two years from now yeah. you know with like with like a really big sample size because it, i think that's a really optimistic thing that's right? and that's like, the thing i think it's awesome. a lot of optimism and yeah once again i don't I, you know, I don't talk directly to the people at Pace. So like, hey, how much traffic do you get on this stuff? And are you making money or is this a giant money sink? Um, but you, And you never know. But there's room for it out there. I just don't know if we've discovered how to do it correctly in a way that is worth a uh, site or a magazine to do. Because I, my first GameSpot feature, which I've mentioned the show multiple times, is my Final Fantasy VIII retrospective. And it was... It was so much fun to write, just talking about that game, just kind of taking it from this idea about how the characters were more more human, more emotional, more grounded than any character in Final Fantasy beforehand in terms of the like not just their physical proportions, but the way they're trying to be represented. And that feature, I'm not gonna say blew up, but did very well on GameSpot. You know, had hundreds of comments, and I would that was another time where I read the comments, but they were overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive and talking about how like man. All these fans of Final Fantasy VIII found this, and they're all saying, "Like, man, why isn't there more stuff like this on Gamespot?" That's not my—that's not me tooting my own horn. That's—I just noticed this kind of desire for thoughtful, hopefully thoughtful criticism or deep dives into games that a lot of people still want to talk about. They still want to go back to, and maybe it's nostalgia, or maybe just this feeling like I don't know. I I, I want to hear other people's opinions on this, but I don't know if we figured it out yet. Like you said, who knows if the actual the traffic figures for Kotaku are anything that are making them think like we should keep doing this, or if they're like, oh, let's talk more about the next Call of Duty. But it's so much fun, and like you said, Paste is fantastic at allowing you to do that. Yeah, they really are. And uh, you know, I know that we have an advice section later on, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if I can preempt that a little bit, if, if I have one piece of advice, if you want to be a games uh, writer, pitch paste. It, not even lying, I have down on this sheet of paper. Uh, tip: Go pitch paste. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we might, I, we know, might just do the tips here. <laughs> they're great. I mean, you know, you know, they they might not say yes. I mean, you, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how how hard ass they are with other writers. I know that. They gave me and they gave Austin, um, you know, a lot of leeway because because they trusted us once we'd established a baseline, you know, and and and, and the baseline that I'd established was um, wasn't even really with them. I you know I did um, uh, I did the piece on the war, on the failure of the world of darkness MMO, um, which was you know hard journalism, mm. uh, if 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 a little bit sensationalistic because it's about the failure of a game and kind of the drama that went on and why. Um, and I did that at Guardian, and that did really well. I didn't have any more work coming from them at the time. And Keith uh, Stewart, the editor there, said, hey, while you're hot, 
go pitch places, right? Because, you know, people are reading this, they're talking about this. That, that article was uh, the fourth best um, tech story, not just games, but tech overall wow. uh, for The Guardian uh, of 2014. Jeez. So, like, it was, it, you know, it beat out, like, iPod stories and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, or iPad. I, do, do people use iPods anymore? Um, I'm, I'm I mean, looking at mine. So. Probably not. I, I think I've won, like, somewhere in one of those, like, random drawers where it's like, oh, hey, there's this thing and my PSP. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's um, right next to that. But, yeah, so like, so, so like I did that, and yeah, you know, um, I asked Maddie, uh, and Maddie said, "Hey, uh, you know, go pitch to Garrett um, uh, because I think she was just swamped at the time or something like that." And she gave me Garrett's contact info, and I was like, "Hey, this is my work." And Garrett was like, "Hey, I read that. Let's give your piece a try." That's already you a know? good sign, yeah. If you if you're yeah. pitching, but they're like, "Oh no, I've already seen this." Yeah, but but but, but I'm just saying that, like, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I'm that was kind of like a big thing uh professionally for me that year but um you know garrett and uh, you know maddie's obviously gone but i'm sure that jen is is probably the same way jen frank is now their assistant editor um and 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 she's a phenomenal writer but um you know they just just the whole place is just really good you know to to work with and to pitch to and yeah yeah and one of my actually one of your recent recent recentish pieces uh which was the relentless humanity of the witcher 3 um, which I had read before uh, we recorded this and such a unique take. <laughs> like once again, that's what I love about paste is that instead of talking about, here's all the positions of these certain treasures, here's the best weapon. Um, you're talking about the different dimples on characters and the different facial features that this, not this clean look that you see in other games and how there's this level of detail that makes them, uh, I mean, you can say it in your own words, but it's, one, I want to say congratulations on finding ways to talk about games that no one else is talking about them, really, because that's super yeah. interesting to me. And also, once again, this goes back to the tip, which both of us might as well just continue to hit home. If you want to start in freelancing and you don't know where you want to go, uh, Pace is such a great place to start. And like like you yeah. said, it's I don't know anyone's level of writing. Um, you know, I, I don't know how good this person is that wants to pitch. But if you have creative ideas that you don't think belong on GameSpot or IGN, honestly, there's a lot of features kind of rumbling around in my head. Um, and there's like one where I know I have an interview opportunity that uh, it's just it, it's, I've been told by GameSpot, which is totally fine. Once again, they're like, hey, I don't think this really works for our site. And that's fine. Um, but a place like Paste for me is better than a personal blog because a personal blog I'm not going to get too much attention on. Um, I only have so many Twitter followers that are going to read my stuff and paste is a good way to be like, there's this really cool, maybe personal, maybe interesting idea. Like, would you be interested in this? And if they trust you and your writing's good, they're going to take it and you're going to have a wider audience. And from there, like you said, you can build on that. You can take that experience and move on to maybe something that has even more exposure or a higher pay. So it's just, I can't, yeah. I've only worked with them a little bit. I cannot speak more highly of the work that they do over there. And I really do need to get, Garrett on this podcast because I would love to hear kind of his philosophy behind what he chooses and what uh, he decides to publish. Yeah, well, and and uh, you know the other thing about Paste is that uh, you know Garrett encouraged me to like like at this point I, I I've got something coming down the pipeline which I can't talk about, um, but it's basically I'm I'm holding back my gaming writing because you know it's coming into this new place. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> right. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I hate to be cryptic, but... Oh, uh, okay, all right, that's you know, fine. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, the uh, uh, the guts are getting worked out right now. Um, consider the 1099 a good place <laughs> to uh, drop exclusive knowledge and <laughs> right. information at some point, you know, consider. Uh, but uh, Garrett, uh, they, Paste has, has like a general geek section, and Garrett, I can't remember if I approached him or he approached me, but, but Garrett's a big wrestling fan. I, I think he approached me, and he was like, hey, you want to write something about wrestling? Like, yeah, fuck yeah, I want to write something about wrestling. Because, <laughs> you know, I was like the editor of this pro wrestling role-playing game, and I wrote this, you know, I wrote an essay for that, and I wrote an essay for the classical, I think, yeah. I, I think is why Garrett approached me about that, and but the classical's wrestling uh, issue. And um, so... So primarily what I'm doing now is is I'm doing uh, Vice Sports and I, you know, I, I, I write their wrestling stuff. Uh, you know, other people do too, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing it on, I think, the most regular basis. Um, I never would have done that probably if, uh, if Garrett hadn't been like, hey, write, you know, write me some fucking wrestling articles people coming to you is one of the coolest feelings when you're a freelancer um because so often you are you're always the person reaching out it's just how it works you're always taking that chance taking a flyer on a certain feature idea and you know getting rejected is never fun um you know everyone's been rejected a few times but uh having someone like garrett uh, reach out to you i had the first thing i wrote for like i said i wrote one feature for there's a lot of cases where you see a place where my name's there once i promise it's not because i was so bad they didn't want me again <laughs> like other stuff happened later where i ended up once again i'm kind of exclusive to GameSpot at this point um but uh video gamer steve burns had reached out to me the first time and that was such a cool feeling it's so empowering and cool and it makes me want to make sure whatever i send to them is the greatest thing i've ever written because i'm like oh let me prove you right um but yeah that's a really cool feeling so yeah he had reached out to you about the wrestling thing i think so i mm-hmm. I, I think so or or he mentioned he mentioned hey um you know i think i think i want to have some wrestling stuff yeah. uh on geek and uh yeah why don't you you know do, yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how it went down um at this point it's been like a year ago and <laughs> god i just i just don't like i <laughs> You know, the, the funny thing is, like, I remember, like, I, I, I remember things that I, that, that I've written, but as you write more and more, um, the first thing I ever wrote was actually uh, a role-playing game, mm. and uh, in order to screw up the courage, it was for Greg Stafford, who's like, a, 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 did you ever play a King of Dragon Pass? I've heard of it, but I've not okay. actually played it. All right, so it's, he's the creator of that world, okay. and he is a legendary role-playing game uh, uh, creator. And uh, he was taking um, one of his most famous rule sets uh, uh, for a King Arthur game, and he wanted to put it into other historical periods. So I got the bright idea. I was like, because uh, uh, I, co- I co-wrote it with my brother, who is um, you know a classics teacher. And I was like, oh, man, it would be really cool. That system is great for um, uh, a Greek myth game. But I was so nervous. This was like 2011, right? And I, I was so nervous that I basically had to have four glasses of wine just to like, just to like send in like three lines. Like, Hey, I have this idea. Do you think it's good? Yeah. Right. And then, and then he, and then he said, yes. I was like, Oh shit. But, um, you know, the second thing I wrote was, you know, the geek culture piece for Jacobin. So I had like three glasses of wine. (laughs) You know, it's a good way to do it. It's better than whiskey. You can. So, so like these major momentous things that I'm so nervous. And like now at this point, like it just, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, oh, yeah. it reaches this point where it's like, um, 
the excitement like I, I I just forget the circumstances because one you just reach a certain critical amount of volume and then again you know that kind of utilitarian it's just a job thing yeah. right like totally like it yeah does it, a job at some point it eventually it's yeah it's not every single piece is like you're freaking out because like you like the first time I had I remember when I sent over my first IGN uh, like cover story it was my first ever really big time freelance gig and it was on the front page of IGN I remember just sending that in and just being terrified I'm like oh my god what if I get this sent back and they're like wow you're hot dog shit like why did we ever (laughs) consider paying any of this uh and of course you know every time I was that's 21 so like I had no idea I had no idea if I was good enough yet um and I remember not getting like any edits back which is a great feeling and also reading it and like oh my god this is almost exactly what I said in it was on the front page and just being like, yeah, th- those first few times, you know, we're both passionate about this stuff. Uh, and it's, it, it, it was, I mean, this is like surge of emotion. Like I, oh yeah. Yeah. First time on IGN, I cried and I'm, I'm totally fine saying that. Um, I am not overly masculine. I'm <laughs> could be a big old baby. <laughs> um, in the same way with like GameSpot where that was, that was always like the, the home I wanted to be on. That was always the, like the place I was like, what if my byline was on there? And that was a final fantasy feature. And once again, there was no edits for that one. So it was just like, freaking out and now it's it's still cool it's still so much fun and this is still something that you know i'm very passionate about i i love to write and i love to write about video games but you know when yeah. my nba 2k16 review went up a few days ago like it's really cool and of course i'm like hey everyone you, know, you should probably read this because i fucking stayed up till 2 a.m and woke up at <laughs> 6 because i had a real job and uh, i hope you appreciate yeah, i hope you appreciate this bullshit <laughs> but yeah I, I still look at it every once in a while i get like excited but it's it's it's, it's on to the next one now it's on to yeah, and NBA live, but yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and 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 like again, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, like I'm cynical about it. Like yeah. I still, I don't write things now. Now I have the luxury of doing this because, like I said, I am a second income. I'm also a student, so I get like financial aid. Yeah. You know, so 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 like essentially, I have the I, I have the income of like a really pretty okay, uh, you know, part time job. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's if I don't get lazy, right? But um, that does give me the freedom to like pick and choose. So like I don't write things that I don't want to. I don't write things that I have to. Yeah. Right. You know. Um. You know I'm not I'm I'm not chained to like listicles or uh oh, you know oh god we got to review this new shitty restaurant you know go down there because you work at the paper or you know interview the high school track coach you know you know again I don't I don't I'm, I'm trying to strike a balance here you know I I, I think I think you have to approach it in a business like fashion after that like initial rush of oh my god i'm a writer people are paying me to read the stupid shit that's in my head you know yeah like, it's you're more and i you know freelancers come in all shapes and sizes there's people like uh nathan minier who is you know fully relying on this and there's people like you who are not and I, i'm in the same boat as you in a certain way where it's like you said i am not i don't have to write what I don't want to write. Honestly, it, because I have a full-time job that I, you know, I get paid pretty well. I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to freelance if I don't want to. This is all supplemental income. Yeah. Um, and because of that, we're in the situation where we do have the option of, you know, you don't have to say yes to everything that comes your way, which when you are, and I understand that. And it, it's, it's something I'm fully aware of when, you know, if freelancers are listening to us right now, sometimes, you know, they'll get something where it's like, I have, you know, no time to do this. I have no expertise in this area but i need to write this because i need this paycheck and like that's it's, it's a different yeah. world but yeah it's there's so many different ways to look at it i mean i i still i like to look at it as 
I need this. Like I, I, I'm trying to stay as hungry as possible with it because I don't want to get lazy. So with my NBA 2K16 review, um, like I said, I was on a business trip. So I was, uh, I got the game. God, it was like the worst week. I had like 800 things go wrong at work where I was like working 12 hours a day. Uh, and I thought I was going to get the game on Monday and then I was going to fly out the Sunday after. So like, okay, that's like a week to fully play this game. I'll write it while I'm in Anaheim. Game comes in Wednesday <laughs> and I had just, just mounds of work to do on the side. So I ended up like within like a five day stretch, just like played so much of that game like a i actually took a day off of like my full-time job as like i'm taking pto because i needed to get this game done and like there's moments like that which a lot of people that's their norm like their norm is you know i'm coming back immediately after work and staying up all night and doing this Uh, yeah it's (laughs) the freelance life is an interesting one because there's just so much to do yeah I, i i i think um and here's the thing is that um, we talk about freelancing um, as this place that uh, newsrooms and media have moved to, but uh, I think that uh, business and and it's global, but I think it's particularly acute here in in America is very intent on having all of us be freelancers. Yeah, and you can see that with stuff like Uber. Um, you can see that with um, uh, you know, fire at will teaching, uh, you know, as, as things move to charter school, stuff like that. You do, it's just uh, uh, scrambling for money is uh, it's not good. <laughs> no, it's not. It can be it can be fun. It's extremely stressful. Like no matter what, it's stressful. Like even at, like any sort of freelance job, it's 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 a race. And there's so many other people out there who uh are qualified to do what you're doing so there is there is always this thing in my head where i'm like every time i get an offer it's like i probably shouldn't say no i don't want to be taken out of some weird rotation in this editor's mind where it's like he said no to that and so he might be terrible oh yeah Yeah, Uh, i mean i mean i mean you're you're never in a position to actually turn down work no with without a doubt and i mean even recently um i was offered a review from and i'm not going to name sites but it it was a big site uh that i haven't written for in a bit and I was already reviewing it for another site. And there's this moment where I'm like, oh, God, I hope that doesn't take me out of, like, contention yeah. that write for them in the future. And I don't blame them because they yeah. have so many freelancers and they have, like, so little time to, like, choose people. I don't blame the person at all. It's just for me, it's like, oh, I hope not. Like, please consider I please consider me next time. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Uh, no matter how stable you are, even if you're doing it kind of, like, on the side or as, like, a primary thing when you have, like, you know, a stable family income like like me, um, you can't turn down work if somebody approaches you. Like you just, you cannot do it because somebody will, you know, and it's a small industry and you might get a reputation. And I, once again, I don't blame people for it, but if you're known as the person who turns down work, editors talk like it's, it's a thing and that's fine. So yeah, it's, it's a, and it's so competitive. It is so goddamn competitive out there. It really yeah, is. Yeah. Well, everybody, everybody wants to wants to write about video games, yeah. and you know, like like periodically, once in a blue moon, somebody asks me on Twitter, "Hey, you know, it, it's 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 usually not couched in the direct like, hey, how do I become a video game writer?" But um, you know, in in the course of a conversation, somebody will bring up like, like, how do I, you know. I want to write about games mm-hmm. and I tell people, look, go write about games, but don't be a game writer. Right. Yeah. It's like, don't be an anything writer. If you can write well about video games, you can write well about anything. 
True. So go write about all kinds of shit. You know, diversify because Lord knows you know, <laughs> games writing is like you said, it's crowded. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's yeah. It's 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 really hard to break into, especially if you were just a good writer, because so much of it now is video and different things like that. Uh, and this is a completely different conversation for another day, because you had mentioned like for me, sadly, I think a lot of times the qualification for writing about games and getting on sites doesn't have to always be even if you are a good writer. <laughs> like a lot of times it's just yeah. you know about this game. Can you kind of write? Then you're fine. Yeah. Um and, and 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 that really is like the video game industry as a whole. There's so many people trying to get into it, and there's this tremendous uh, downward pressure on wages, and it's uh, you know it's 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 very stressful um, to get into because again, it's just it just all feels very tenuous, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I could I could disappear tomorrow, and there is another Ian Williams out there, right? Yeah. Well. In your case, I think you have a unique enough style and a unique enough subject, like a, a number of subjects that you cover, that I would like to think there was only one Ian Williams out there. Well, I mean, I hope so. Yeah, but I, without I a doubt right. know what you mean. Like, yeah, there are – that also goes down to you have to carve out a certain – like a person you, – you, your yeah. creative signature in a way of uh, – there are people out there who I read and I immediately know who I'm reading before looking at the byline and – I swear to God, this is another time I'm going to talk about Nick Capizzoli again. I'm just inflating his ego to a scary degree. But uh, he has a certain style and a certain way of handling criticism. You can read his review and be like, I know who this is. And there are people out there uh, that you can point to and say, I know who this is. And it's something I struggle with, absolutely, without a doubt, where I'm writing and I'm like, could anyone else write the review I just did? Because it's fine and I'll get paid – like. I'll get paid for it and I think it's a good review and my editor's going to like it, but did I tackle this in a new way that no one else is talking about this game? And that goes back to what you mentioned about reviews. You feel like it has to be impactful in certain ways sometimes and I don't want to reach um, because that's one of the worst things you can do is make it impactful and make it creative and make it talk about a game in a certain way just for the sake of doing that. Um, right, yeah, because because I do think, and um, this is probably not going to be the most popular thing I'll say, that's but I do think that we have reached, like, we're very much in danger of reaching, like, a certain tipping point where there's just too much games crit. And I agree with you, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I, because, I, I, you know, we're getting to the point where, where like, my Twitter feed and um, is, is filled, and obviously that's not always representative of what's going on. In, in the world at large, but like we spend yeah. we spend an inordinate amount of time critiquing crit at this point, and I don't see that happening to the same extent with TV and movies, right. um, music a little bit because I think that music, but music criticism is kind of weird because I think it's kind of descended into, but actually maybe not now. Now that that sentence is like halfway out of my mouth, <laughs> um, I, you know, I think that. Um, there is a lot of pressure in music crit, or at least it seems that way when I read it, to be very florid in the descriptions of an album or an artist's impact or something like that. Yes. Right. And I think that games crit is kind of maybe veering towards that direction. Not that we don't need good crit, right? But good crit is not necessarily florid and big and um in some cases obscure right like, i don't even think to... we're just veering in that direction I, th- I think we've reached that point i think it is a tipping point where i 
I would not be shocked if we start swinging a little bit back in the other direction in the near future. I feel like we've kind of reached critical mass. Yeah, it's just and and and, and I'm reminded of something that um that the Ian Bogos said. Um, I don't know exactly where he said it, um, but I know that he said, "Look, you got to understand <laughs> that nobody outside of games actually gives a shit about games." Yes. Right. Like you know, we we can tell ourselves all we want to. Oh, look how big the industry is. Um, you know, look how many people play video games and stuff like that. Like most gamers don't actually give a shit about games in like a critical sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And that sounds incredibly pessimistic and shitty and stuff like that. I don't mean that in the sense like stop writing good crit because, you know, most people don't, you know, don't read, um, you know, academic books, but you know, you need academic books. You need people writing them and you need people writing reviews of them. Right. Yeah. Um, games can be the same way. It's just that, um, uh, I, you know, I think I worry sometimes that games crit maybe uh, is is feeling that that pressure to to one up the other critic instead of just writing about what you think is in your head. I right? no, I fully agree with you. And once again, I will be completely open and saying I felt that pressure. You 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 do feel that pressure where it seems like every review has to reach this new every review or every feature or every something has to reach this new level of deep criticism about something um, where sometimes it doesn't call for that sometimes the game doesn't call for that and yeah i have absolutely read features where i felt like someone was reaching and you know they're going very in depth and it's it's very you know it reads like someone who is you know well read and uh trying to think about this critically but they're also reaching for the sake of like i want this different opinion on this or i feel like i have this demand on me to write about this in that way where once again it doesn't call for it um, yeah, and we don't want to be pitchfork, right? Yes, we, you know, we that's that that's not where we want to go, and 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 I worry that that's kind of where we're going. I do think it's going to swing back. I, I it's just I, I think it's the natural way where we started this movement towards more, and I I I love it. I love more critical writing. I love different takes. Like I love reviews that talk about games as much more than just here's how it plays, here's what it looks like, seven out of ten. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I agree that not every review has to be that way. And I, I've always felt that you know there are so many different ways to review a video game. And I don't think we need to call someone out if they are reviewing a video game in a way that you don't like because it's okay. Like It's okay that this game, this person's reviewing it in this way and this person's reviewing it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the diversity. I just don't want all one way or all the other and the pressure to try to conform to a certain way of reviewing. If that's not, if, if I, if I don't see a game in that way, that's okay. <laughs> like I, I really think that's okay. It's not like, it's not like you can't find like, like at this point, it's not like you can't find a, a, a review that matches your, you know, your views on what a game mm. quality is. Yeah. You, know, you know, like, like if, if I enjoyed, uh, Batman, you know the latest Batman Arkham game, which you know I, as as I understand, I haven't played it as a complete disaster. You know they yanked it from PC. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, shall, yeah. Um, you can find a review, I'm sure, on PC where that where where somebody hedges it and says, well, you know, it really isn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's like, hey, you know what? There's some okay points, and yeah. a lot of times people do okay. read reviews just for confirmation of their opinions. Um. But yeah, in the same sense, if you want to look at a full critical breakdown of these certain thematic elements of that same Batman game, that's now more and more that's out there. Uh, yeah. And 
I, I do. I, this is something I was talking about with uh, Carolyn Pettit. Like, there's a lot of big game releases that that's those seem like the moments like Metal Gear Solid Five, where you see this very every kind of review is going on the exact same path. There's all these ten, 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 and that's where you don't see the diversity and you don't see. Yeah, I, we'll get it later. We will absolutely get a lot of interesting critical views on Metal Gear Solid Five later, but we didn't really get that at launch. So, yeah, it. it once again, I, I go back and forth on all this stuff. There are days where I feel like, you know, we're on the right track. Other days I feel like we're on the wrong track for different reasons. It's Yeah. Overall, overall, really, I I feel that there's a good diversity of voices uh, in GamesCrit that yes. weren't there, and that's good. Um, I feel like uh, academic or academic light reviews of games are now accessible to the public, and I think that that's only a good thing. Yes. Um, I just... Uh, Overall, I you know I they, there's a lot to like about Games Crit. Um, I'd like to see more hard news, right? Um, I'd like to see more labor reporting, of course. Um, and uh, I'd like to dial back that pressure to um, to kind of get that really unique angle on a game, you know, and kind of and kind of force the issue because because we're worried about what our peers think. Yes, you know. <laughs> No, I, without a doubt, I think, I think what you said is an unpopular opinion, but it's an unpopular opinion that I agree with because I have felt that pressure. Well, uh, then it's an it's it's very much a popular opinion. Right here, yeah, we are two. <laughs> this is the sample size. It's a hundred percent. Everyone agrees with what we're saying, and we're you know good. what? It's okay if someone disagrees with what we're saying. I think that's fine too. Um, I'm yeah, I'm willing. I'll to never talk. know. I don't. <laughs> I have a feeling we'll know pretty soon. <laughs> Probably. Um, you know, we I could actually talk about reviews with you all day. Um, but we've actually gone even over an hour. This is this one went faster than any other podcast I recorded. Um, for the tips, I think we gave them. I think we already have the tips. Is if if you're yeah. trying to get into this, try paste. If you think you know it doesn't hurt to pitch, uh, as long as you have the experience and you're you know reasonable with yourself and you do think you're at that level of a writer, then try see what happens. Um, and down the line, if you keep writing for them, you, you'll get noticed. It's it's not yeah. the biggest the biggest place right in the world. You're not going to get paid billions of dollars, I promise. Um, it, it's such a good start. It's such a good place to kind of bounce ideas, try new things, see what works, see Very what doesn't. They oh, do not. pay. Um, I, I will say that they do pay more than they did. They've they, they've increased their budget. Oh. I, I won't say what because I, because I feel like that's kind of gauche. But yes. you know, again, you, you you won't get rich at it. But you know, th- there was definitely a pay bump over over the course of the past year and i missed that okay i <laughs> i was on the one beforehand where it wasn't you know once again I'm not gonna talk about it. it wasn't a lot of money that's fine but yeah that's you should then, then you know what doubly i'm gonna double down on this tip it's more money go right for it yeah go right for pace don't get discouraged because everybody no matter how good they are gets rejected <laughs> i have written entire pieces that have been requested from me mm. that have been rejected not oh. not not in games crit you know that happens and um you know like i said earlier diversified don't be a games writer be a writer who writes about games yeah no I, I love that and yeah i was just actually tweeting about this the other day i've pitched something and got it accepted and wrote it all and took weeks on it never got published got paid for it never got published <laughs> the, the get paid for part was nice but then it was like oh man like was it a scheduling thing was it because they didn't like it i think they liked it yeah so it's stuff happens you don't feel like Oh my God! I'm the only one who's dealing with this. I could tell stories. I just, I just, I, I, I just can't tell those. You have a freelance spoiler cast of <laughs> all of these different sites where it's we can't do that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I won't even talk about it because then people will want it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Ian, where can people find you, uh, social media or otherwise? Um, I am at Twitter as 
at Brock, B-R-O-C-K underscore tune, T-O-O-N. And if you come and tell me what that reference is from, it makes me really happy. Um, uh, I write mainly uh, right now at Vice Sports. Uh, I write about once every week uh, on Pro Wrestling. Um, I am getting ready to publish. Uh, I have to do a, pu- uh, do a plug. Uh, I'm getting ready to publish uh, a role-playing game, um, independent, called Action Movie World, where you play action movie actors. And uh, I'm sure I'll be flogging that. Um, and I've got something really cool and big freelancing wise and, and games writing coming soon, but I can't talk about that yet. So you'll just have to follow me on Twitter. It's a good tease. No, that's a good tease and a good plug. Um, it was really great talking to you. I really do mean this when I say that that was the fastest hour I've ever had on a podcast. Um, no offense to past guests. Uh, (laughs) and I think we could talk another three or four about games writing and other sort of writings in general. So, uh, once again, thank you so much, Ian. Thank you, Justin. Uh, no problem at all. So hopefully in the future we'll have you on again. And, you know, I'm going to have you, I'm going to have Nick, and you're going to fight about reviews. <laughs> and I'm going to sit back and try They'll to moderate and be like probably win, one be point for Ian. Oh, don't say that. You've already given it to him. No, you need to be more bullish. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Well, as you guys all know, you could find me at Josiah Renaud. And, um, I just Like I said, I just had uh, 2K16 go up. Um, I am now working on NBA Live, so we'll, uh, you'll hear my strong opinions about that and its wonderful thematic basketball elements. So uh, thank you again, everyone, for listening. I'm glad to be back. We will have a whole bunch more episodes coming up soon, and hopefully you'll be uh, ready to listen to more V1099. Dan from IGN. I cannot address your question about late invoices because I'm so anal retentive about my invoices that the second I hit submit on a story, I do my invoice immediately. And the second it's published, I'll sit there and hit refresh. And the second I see it, I send my invoice to my editor. So I can't tell you. I'm also, I'm also, by the way, I'm very, very early for all of my dinner dates. So, Oh man. So, okay. So let me add this as like a weird thing. So I have, Never been late on a deadline. I've never been late to dinner date. I've never been late to almost anything. But I always kind of take my time on invoices. I'm never super late. Like editors usually don't have to bug me about it. But it's like a few weeks after something's been published, I'm like, oh shit, I need to get paid for that. And I think that also comes back to the fact that like since it's I have a full-time job, it's – the payment is – it's great. But it's not like the first thing on my head. It's like, ah, I'll turn that in later. Right now on – um. GameSpot, I have uh, four reviews. I still need to submit an invoice for. See, see, you're terrible. I, I, I drive my editors crazy. Like, <laughs> like I know I drive them crazy because because I, I have to know. Right? I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, here, this is the invoice. You have to take it. Like poor Greg Howard from Deadspin, the last article I wrote for them. Like I just, uh, God, I, I, I must have emailed them like a million times, and they, and they weren't late it's, or anything like that. It's just that, like our signals got crossed as far as like when it was, and I was just like, oh my god, you know, have you gotten my invoice? Has it been entered yet? He's like, he's like, I got you, and I'm like, no, no, I need no more. I need it now. No, I don't see the check. Where's the money? No, where? No, I don't see it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you I know what? I, I really help out Dan. I really hope I never did this to Dan at IGN. I I don't think I did. If I did, I'm sorry, but. Thanks for the payment. This is totally to go at the end. Uh, And second outro. All right.